Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 344. This program is dedicated by Elisheva Cohen for Rafua Shlema Tuvia Ben Miriam. This week we begin Parshas Trumo. In the middle of the week we will also have Zion Odr, the seventh day of Odr, as well as the special Parsha that will be read on Shabbos called Parsha Zohar. Always read the Shabbos before Purim. Zohar Asher So as is our custom, let us begin with living with the times, applying and learning relevant lessons to our lives from these three time factors that converge in this week. Let's begin with Zayin Adr, since it's the middle of the week. Zayin Adr, of course, is the day that Moshe Rabbeinu was born, and the Moshe Rabbeinu was also his Histalkus. Same day he was born was his Histalkus. It actually has a connection to Purim, because when Haman, Harosha, was plotting his conspiracy to annihilate all the Jews, Achman al-Islam, God forbid. So he threw lots. He was a superstitious man. He threw lots, a girdle, and it fell out in the month of Adar. And he felt elated. He felt um, redeemed in a way because it was the month that he knew was the month when Moshe Rabbeinu, the great leader, the greatest leader of the Jewish people, passed away. So he felt it was a good opportune time, a bad omen for the Jews. But the Gemara says he did not know that Moshe was also born on that day, which of course is a very positive thing. Moshe's birth, it brought light to the world. As soon as he was born, the house was filled with light, and Moshe became the savior, the God-chosen leader to take the Jews out of Egypt. So in many ways, it was also the portending of the downfall of Haman, because Moshe Rabbeinu's month, Moshe Rabbeinu's month of his birth, the truth is, even the Yemis Talkus we know of, a tzaddik, is also a great day. The Altareb explains in chapter 28 of Egeres HaKedosh, the fourth section of Tanya, that it's the day Peril Yeshua is Bekerabah It's the work, the work, all the work and the efforts that the tzaddik did all gather and elevate on that day, the day of his passing. And Peril Yeshua is Bekerabah They draw down energy and creates Yeshua's redemption, salvations, even in the depths of the abyss of the lowest parts of earth. So both these elements and Zayin Adar were actually forces that ultimately Magdim Rafur Lamaka prepared the healing before the illness and that was that Haman's plot ultimately would fall apart and instead of being a day of such of Yogin Vanocha, a day of suffering, a day of, 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 um, of affliction, it became a day of uh, in the month that was transformed, Yehofhu, it was transformed to Sosim Vesimcha, to the great joy of Purim, the greatest joy of Purim, a joy that in many ways surpasses many other joys, even of the Yom Tevim that are sanctioned in the Torah, because Purim came from the dark, that came from Nepach. It was transformed from a terrible decree. And that turned it into such a tremendous celebration. And all this in honor of Haman and his plots and conspiracies. So though at the time, it definitely did not look good, but we always look at the end of the story, and the end of the story, 
The Megillah tells us how the miracles which were hidden in nature ultimately led to the redemption and the salvation of the Jewish people to the point that we even equate it with Mismach Geula Legeula. The Gemara says that when there are two months of other in a leap year, the month of Purim is celebrated in the second month, even though generally it would be in the first because to, to, to have two months of consecutive Geula, Mismach Geula Legeula, Purim to the Geula of Pesach of Mitzrayim, which of course is Kimet Seischem Eretz Mitzrayim, leads us to the Geula Amitiz Vashlema that will redeem us from all the difficulties, and this time forever. So Moshe Rabbeinu Goyal Rishon Hu Goyal Achren, he's the first redeemer, he's connected to the final redeemer, Mashiach, so therefore we have the connection to us in so many different ways. The Rebbe tells us we are at the threshold of Geula, so it all comes together. On a personal note, so what's Moshe Rabbeinu teach us? Besides the fact that such a great leader, such a schus and merit that protects the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu, we're told, we still call him Rabbeinu till this day. Because just as he led them and served, he continues to serve. So the Alter Rebbe explains in Tanya, classic chapter in Tanya, Perik Membeis, where he talks about the Gemara, he speaks about that Moshe Rabbeinu, the Pasuk says, that, uh, that Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Jewish people, And now Jews, the Jewish people, what is God already asking of you? All he's asking you is to fear, to be in awe of him. What's he already asking? He's basically Moshe saying, what's the big thing? So the, Alta, the Gemara asked the question, Is then fear and awe of God such a small thing that Moshe says, What's he already asking for you, of you? We know it's not a small thing. So the Gemara says, For Moshe, it's not a big thing to have fear and awe of God. But the Alter Rebbe says, but that doesn't answer the question. Moshe wasn't speaking to himself, he was speaking to the Jewish people. And for them, it's not a small matter. Why did he make it as if it's like trivial? It's easy. And the Alter Rebbe answers because he's talking about the Moshe We all have a Moshe within us. And that standard, the expectation is here on that level, is not a difficult thing. Can you imagine what that means? That means we all have a real Moshe Rabbeinu within us. And it's not just a theory, a spiritual state that we aspire to. That compared to that, the Torah tells us, Moshe tells us, that Yira, Yira Sashem, is not such a big thing, it's not so difficult. And you have to say that's a realistic estimate, because the answer at the end of the day is the Moshe within us. If it wasn't for the Moshe Rabbeinu within us, you could say, yes, it's not a small, it's not Mil Sezutrasa. Now the Gemara says, Rabbi Yechem Benzaki, there's a, a famous Gemara, Rabbi Yechem Benzaki was in the last days of his life. So he called his students, came over to his deathbed, if we can call it that on a tzaddik. Akaponim day was standing there, and one of the things Rabbi Yechem Mazaki told them, he said to them, Halavai, may it be that the fear of God should be for you the fear as much as the fear of man. That you should have the Yiris, that Yiris Hashem should be as much as Yiris from another person. So even the students of Rabbi Yechem Mazaki, we're talking about Tanoim, the greatest sages, even them, Rabbi Yechem Mazaki told them, that it's not such a simple thing. It's easier to be afraid of other people because they watch you. And Hashem can seem concealed. So, of course, how does that stream with the, with the Tanya? The answer is, Rabbi Yechem was talking the part of them that's not the Moshe within them. The Moshe within them is Takemil Sezutrasa. 
So the truth is we have dimensions within us. Zion Oder teaches us the day of Mazoli Gever, and even the Istalkos of Moshe. It brings out the strength of the Mazel of Moshe, it brings out the Moshe also within each of us. The great potential we have. Not just potential, the great capacity that we have when we allow the Moshe for us to emerge. And what the Rebbe is saying, because if it's not accessible, then the answer is the question is not answered. If there's a Moshe within us that remains elusive, so then how do we say that it's mil sezutra? It's a small thing. That means each one of us has the capacity to reach unbelievable levels. It just tells us how much kind of vote of confidence in us. Some people look at it and say, how am I ever going to reach there? But if you really read properly, it's the opposite. It's the belief in us, the belief in you. So Zayinada teaches us that each of us has a moisture within us and we can access it and can be actualized in our lives. You'll say, how is that possible? So it's like the moisture within us, meaning relative to you. You're much more than you think you are. You have within it that element dimension. We're also told there's a Mashiach within each one of us. Obviously, it's not the full-blown Mashiach ben David, like not the full-blown Moshe Rabbeinu, but Nazoyed Ampin is in a certain like microcosm we have this capacity. So just teaching us as we enter this month of Adar, which in general is my body mazli. It's a mazl of, this, of, of uh, the Jewish people stand strong and intense. And then in Adar itself, the mazl of Moshe Rabbeinu, it gives us a mazl, which is Nezlim and Halavonim, is a form of a flow from a higher place that gives us the strength to access and to actualize this great potential. What it simply comes down to is Zichri Teres Moshe Avdi, a dedication to Teda, to everything that Moshe stood for, and of course also to do whatever we can, Goyal Rishon, Goyal Achrin, to bring the Geula, Pratis, firstly within yourself, a personal redemption, not feel like you're trapped in the, in the uh, tentacles of displacement of Golas, and to actually introduce the Eir HaGeula, by learning Chesidus, by learning Teda, by learning Chesidus, by getting a taste of it, and when you recognize and you say and accept that the Torah believes in you, you always will achieve greater. Whenever someone believes in you, it gives you strength to rise to the occasion. So in this month of Adar, month of Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday, and Istalkus, we have this power. And the power is that strong, it can even transform the darkness. The darkness that Haman tried to perpetrate and bring upon the Jewish people, and instead it turned into Nepach, into transformation, into great celebration. So, of course, the entire month of Adar is Mishanichnes Adar Marvin Besimcha. When Adar enters, we increase in Simcha and joy, and we don't just wait till Purim. At the beginning of the month, we're already increasing in joy and continually to increase from day to day. We spoke about joy last week, about breaking out of boundaries, breaking out of limitations. So that leads me to the next, to Pasha's Truma. Pasha Truma is one of the most powerful Pashas because following Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the first central event in this book of Shmois, the, the freeing ourselves from the limits and the constraints of Mitzrayim, Mitzorim Vigvulim, which is the first step for any growth, to get out of your fears and inhibitions and limitations, perceived or real. Then comes the second major event, Matan Teda, in Pasha Yisrei where we receive the mandate from God, the power to transform the material world into a spiritual environment. Until that point, heaven and earth had a certain schism, a split. And now we're able to join and fuse the two. 
And that leads to the consummation of it all is actually the fusion. Take physical materials, gold, silver, copper, silver, gold, copper, kesev, zov, and and all the other 13 or 15 materials, 12, 13, 15 materials, and build from that an actual sanctuary where God says, I will dwell among you. So Matan Teda was a temporary descent of the divine on Mount Sinai. But afterwards, they moved on Mount Sinai. We don't even know where it is today. It definitely does not maintain and preserve that um, holiness and sanctity. The Asli Midrash became an actual Migdash, still, te- still portable, and they traveled with it until that would become the beginning of the, be- of the building of the Beis HaMikdash on Yerushalayim, Irakedish on the Harabayis, and that would be the place where the third Beis HaMikdash will be built. But until the Mishkin, you did not have that type of full service in a Mishkin as that begins in this week's chapter, Pasha Truma. What does it mean to each of us? So the Pasuk says, So the Shalah asks the question, cites it. The verse should have said, Build for me a sanctuary and I will rest in it. What means among Besechom, among them? I will rest among them, or, 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 or among them. It should have said in the, in the structure. And the answer is, because the purpose is not that God dwells in a building or a structure, but God dwells in our hearts and souls. But that been Tavshin, um, uh, what was it? I think it was Tavshin Mem Gimel. Um, I'm trying to recall, was it Tavshin Mem Gimel or Tavshin Mem Vav? Tavshin Mem Vav, I'm sorry. So around this Pasha Truma, which came after Yushvat, the Rebbe spoke then about making every home should become a Migdash Ma'at, a bias, Teira Veda Gemilz Chasodim, and he quoted then a Maimer, a Maimer of Ayichuli Truma, Vaosili Migdash, from the Rebbe Rashab and the Friedrich Rebbe, that talks about Vaosili Migdash Chanti Besechom, that in an interesting way, when the Beis Migdash physically stood, so yes, the Shekhinah was primarily the base of Migdash. Today is the real fulfillment in each one of us. And the Rebbe speaks about in that Sikhet Trumet of Shemem Vov. There was a letter written by the Rebbe then at the same time. That what? That now it's actually completely performed because it's only through us. There's no base of Migdash. And we prepare the ground that the third base of Migdash will be rebuilt. The lesson is very clear and obvious as the Rebbe said in those years that each of us has to make sure that our personal life, our personal body, and our physical environment should be a place that is comfortable and a dwelling place for godliness. And how do you do it? Through Teda, Avedig, Milz, Chasod. And we do it also in our homes, that we designate, we have a Siddur, we have a Chumash, Chumash is Teda, Siddur is Tfila, a Tzdoka Pushke, Milz, Chasodim. And even children make their rooms into a dwelling place. So the lesson is clear. Our job is to create a sanctuary, to create an environment for the divine, for godliness, to feel comfortable. So that's the lesson of Truma. And we have the Koyach again for Moshe Rabbeinu, the Moshe Rabbeinu in general, and the Moshe Rabbeinu within us. It all comes through Moshe. Hashem says to Moshe, you t- take from them a, a, an offering, a contribution. And Moshe is the one that instructs the building of the Mishkan. So the power of Moshe. And finally, we come to Pasha Zohar, which is always read the Shabbos before Purim. Why? Because you're you remember, then you erase the memory of Amalek. So right before Amalek, which Haman, of course, Haman Agogi, originates from Amalek. So we read about Amalek 
in the Torah. What does Amalek represent? The, obviously the antithesis to the Mishkan and to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is certainty that we know where we're direct, we're going, we know where we're headed. We're building a Mishkan and Amalek tries to throw cold water. Asher Karcha Baderech, also from the word Karcha, from Kirus. Apathy, Kaltkeit, indifference, don't be so excited. Throwing cold water. Amalek is also the gematria of Suffolk, doubt. Doubts. Instead of telling you, don't do it, you throw a doubt, and a doubt is much worse than a no, because then it causes you to be paralyzed. Ain simcha kataras asveikas comes putim, and the simcha of other, and that counters, because there's no greater simcha than resolving sveikas, meaning resolving Amalek. And homon, that's a result of it. All the doubts that numb us and that paralyze us and that create that confusion and that lack of clarity. So the focus is clarity. We know what our purpose is and we don't allow ourselves to get distracted. That is ultimately the combination of all these three lessons of Zayin Adar, Seventh of Adar, Truma, and Zohar. Okay. So now let's move before I move forward, let me talk about some um, housekeeping. We have a program called, we have a website called Chassidus Applied, where all this, all these archives and all the previous episodes are showcased. You can check it out. You can also ask your anonymous, completely anonymous question on the forum at chassidusapplied.com, as well as check out other resources there in learning Chassidus and teaching Chassidus. Many, many resources, including, of course, the essay and the creative submissions that have come in over the past six years, thousands of submissions from people of all walks of life applying chassidus, both through the written form, essays, and now also through creative presentations. And I just see that in Beis Rivka here in New York, inspired by this program, they created their own contest. So, um, and, uh, and so it's really good to hear and see how this has its legs, Apulinim Sheches, and that it creates a, uh, an extension, hopefully a ripple effect throughout the world where people everywhere, using their t- skills and talents, will be applying chassidus to the issues that we all face and challenge, and the challenges that we have to, that we encounter, which of course prepares the ground for the gula mitzvah v'ashlemu will be mola ares deis Hashem kemaim liyam echasen. The world will be filled with divine knowledge. What does that mean in simple terms? That we will be able to recognize the true nature of existence because we'll be following primis atere chassidus will teach us how to be the healthiest people how to be the healthiest communities, the healthiest world, a world where there's no more corruption and no more destruction and no more evil and no more avarice and all the negatives, but a world that is, lives in harmony. That everybody in harmony with one God and each of us in our own unique way doing what we need to do to complement each other in this beautiful symphony, divine symphony. So that is essentially... Um, what the purpose of all this. I'd also be excited, I'm also excited to announce that I'm beginning this Mitzvah Shabbos, this Saturday night, 10 to 10.30 p.m., a new program. It's called My Life, Tanya Applied. Tanya Applied. So check it out. It'll be on the radio in New York, 6.20 a.m. You can also find it in our, we have now a special section on our site, chassidusapplied.com slash Tanya. There you'll see all the places you can listen to the show. You can even watch it as well. So many different platforms. So this is a new initiative that we're beginning. It's actually 61 years from when the first learning of Tanya on the radio in 1960. 
So check that out, a half-hour program each week. And we'll, of course, will be archived as well, 10 to 10 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern time on go to chassidusapply.com slash tanya for more information. Okay. Yeah, so we continue to expand and hopefully in a way that can reach every person on this earth. That's our goal. With your partnership, with all of us working together, we have no doubt, I have no doubt that this can be done. So with that in mind, let's go into some questions. I have some some questions that we didn't finish answering. People have written to me. You know, they're really looking forward to hearing the answer. I continue to receive great feedback, critique as well, but mostly positive, to be honest. But the critique I also see as positive because it helps us grow. It helps us fine-tune. It helps us adjust and, and make things even better. So please never hesitate to write to us. Write to us whether it's something positive, whether it's a suggestion, whether it's something that you'd like to criticize. You know, it all, it's all taken well because Avis Abikadas, that's how we grow, that's how we become better. And we also see this as a partnership. It's a two-way street. I mean, I'm answering questions that you submit, and I really feel that it's that type of symbiosis that we all come together and looking into chassidus and looking into the Rebbe's Teireh and to letters and yechidus and fabrengens and every way possible to find answers to the most compelling and most important questions, frankly, all questions in our lives, in our, of our lives today. So let me begin with, we started speaking last week about psychological, psychology and chassidus. So there were was, was some questions that I didn't get to. Well, let me go to that. How does chassidus view the relationship between spiritual, emotional health and physical health? So here's the full written out question. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. How did, yes, okay, I just read that. How does chassidus view the relationship between spiritual, emotional health and physical health? There's an approach to healing, particularly in traditional Chinese medicine, which posits that patterns of dichotomy, I'm sorry, of patterns of disharmony in the body often have an emotional component. And in order to properly get better, one must clear the emotional blockage to allow physical healing to take place. Modern conventional medicine, however, views health and disease as strictly biological. The person's psychological state is largely disconnected from their state of physical health or lack thereof. What does Chassidus say about physical illness and pain? Does it stem from psychological, emotional, spiritual defects? As a side note, it seems that there are stories of the Rebbe in which people would get spiritual advice in response to physical medical issues, and other stories where the Rebbe would give practical medical advice without the guidance of a Rebbe who can sense the root cause. What is the general view of Chassidus on this issue? Thanks. Okay, so we have addressed this, especially in the early episodes, as I mentioned last week, one, episode one through four, and many others, which you can easily search for again, achsidasupply.com, search a keyword, and it's pretty easy to find things you're looking for. But it's a great question, and the answer is unequivocally that the chsidis, Teira, sees the human being as a holistic entity, which means, no, there's no disconnect between mind, emotions, soul, and physicality. Obviously, there are things that you have to deal with on a physical level. But remember, even when you're dealing with physical illness, you're dealing, let's say, God forbid, with the heart or other physical parts of the body, a human attitude, person's attitude is vital. And medicine is discovering more and more how that attitude is so key. On a very simple level, you have a person lying, God forbid, in a hospital, and they have visitors and friends and family and gifts 
And then you have someone right there in the same room. No friends, no visitors, no gifts, no guests. They both are suffering, God forbid, from the same problem. Will they be reacting the same way? The fact of the matter, when a person has visitors and has people who are upbeat, it affects the chemicals, the very chemicals, psychosomatic and even more, the chemicals, the adrenaline, the hope, and, and it strengthens the immune system. If a person gives up because they're demoralized or feel down or don't feel anyone cares, it has to affect their attitude. Is it a magic pill? Nothing is magic because we know that health and all these matters are much more complex. But there's a, first, a simple example. You speak to doctors today, most doctors, I would think even all doctors, legitimate, authentic doctors, they'll tell you, of course attitude matters. That's why they always feel that in addition to any medicine or any interventions or surgery, you need to have someone to speak to you. You need to have the will to fight. There are many factors, some are mysterious, some are not so mysterious. Some called body, soul, body, soul, body, mind, soul, body, mind, and soul medicine. There's all kinds of different terms for it, and that absolutely has effect on human, on, on human condition. Now again, you have to distinguish. Obviously, there are things that are more psychological and more emotional, and there are things that are more physical. But there's no question there's an impact. So people ask about, doc, the, 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 about um, people with back pain, and the issue is a result of anxiety, as is, as, is, um, uh, as is propagated by many people today. The famous back doctor who talks about how anxiety affects our, uh, our back and other pain. So there's no question when you look at something, you have to look at it from every, many, very many different angles. And that's the approach that we take. The Rebbe has letters about this. I believe I read some of them in the past where we recognize issues even like Tragut Vedzangut, that type of positive attitude, gratitude, other different factors that we know today have a direct impact on human health. So you have to look at things in a complete picture. There's no one thing. You have to look at all of it. And obviously, attitude alone doesn't always resolve the issue. But a combination is absolutely necessary because we are a symbiotic. We are a, a one whole with many parts. And the mind does affect us, not only through the central nervous system, but also attitudes, as I just said. So the answer is yes. As far as blocks go, absolutely. When there's an emotional block, it could also cause a physical block. You know, just think of this. When people have anxiety and their bodies get very tight, knotted up, carrying all kinds of pain that can go back a long time in our lives. The body remembers. Body carries memories. And you need to work it out so you can see the physical reaction due to different trauma and different other experiences. Like you see, a person who, for example, has experienced serious trauma, they will recoil. They will roll up, so to speak, like almost in the fetal position to protect themselves. So it even has on that physical element. But there's many other elements. So when there are emotional blocks, it can very easily cause physical blocks. And therefore, we have to look at things again in a body-soul fashion, body-mind-soul. And when you have all that together, the mind, cognitive conditioning, emotional conditioning, behavioral conditioning, in addition to physical intervention or whatever may be needed, you have a far more chance to create a more wholesome person and a healthier human being. Okay.
So let's go another question, completely unrelated, a question about ambition. Is there a purpose to ambition in Chassidus? Or is it better to be without ambition completely? It's a good question. You know, we see ambition can, on one hand, drive things in a very beautiful way, get things done. On the other hand, ambition, blind ambition, could also be very, very insensitive. And you can step on others and hurt others in the name of one's individual ambition. So, thank God, the answer is we have the seven midas, the emotions, the emotional faculties of the human being, which reflect the seven attributes of the divine, and one of them is ambition. Netzach is sometimes defined, ambition, determination, persistence. So, we know that Netzach, just like chesed, love, needs to be balanced by gvura, discipline, it needs to have balance. Same thing with Netzach. Netzach Ambition and determination is absolutely necessary. We just learned a few weeks ago in Basilegani, Midasan Etzachim is the most, one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful, that reaches the etzim of the individual. He talks about a god, la melech, that when it comes to Netzachim, to overcoming an adverse, an adversity, an adversary brings out the deepest Natschonis that need to triumph. And we're not talking about triumph in a negative way, we're talking about triumph in a positive way, to overcome all obstacles. So when you're driven and you have a mission and a vision, look at the Rebbe, a vision for Geula, nothing will stop you. So in that sense, it's absolutely necessary because many times there'll be obstacles, there'll be setbacks, there'll be challenges. So how do you counter that? You can't just become passive. We're talking about an important cause. So you need a certain drive and ambition. On the other hand, because ambition, unchecked, can also become affected by ego, by arrogance, and other things. So we have hoid, that's the counterbalance, humility, the ability to yield, to not allow ambition just to steamroll and just roll over everybody around you. That the ambition should be checked, should be a humble ambition, one that is influenced and infused with a sense of purpose that's not just about me. Why you want to triumph? Not because you want to win, Individually, because it's God's cause. It's the right cause. You're fighting the war for the, right, for, right, for the right, correct reason. So it's not about you. Once it's not about you, you can trust it much more. So that's how you check ambition and make sure it's directed and harnessed for the proper objectives. But like everything, anyone that's powerful in one area can also overdo it. And so on. a very ambitious person without these checks can also cause damage. And that's why we need the hiskalalus, the interconnectivity of the faculties and the spheres. Just like the human body, nothing just works on its own. It all works together with each other, as I mentioned before, holistically. And that's the answer to this question. Okay. Another question. Prayers for Bashert. I like to balance different topics, so we'll deal with, let's deal with this. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, what is the best way to daven that Hashem puts you in the right place at the right time to meet your bashert? So bashert, of course, is the word for your designated one. The one that the soulmate that God appointed before you were born to meet and marry and join together as soulmates. So the question is, what's the best way to daven that you should be in the right place at the right time? We know that every person has a soulmate. That 40 days before a person is born, it's announced we talked about this once at length. Is it predestined? Can it change? That's not the topic right now. I've talked about it many, many different episodes back. 
But here the question is the right, you should be there. The fact that someone has a designated soulmate doesn't mean it's always easy. So the question is, how do you maximize the possibility of meeting that person? Is there a particular chapter of Tehillim or other prayers that the sages suggest? Thank you, and I look forward to inviting you to my future wedding. May it be God's will that it take place soon. Amen, and I will absolutely come. And I give you my blessing that it should come with the least amount of aggravation. And you should finally find that soulmate, to discover, this, uh, discover and find the soulmate, and be wise enough to hold on and embrace it. Because going back to your question, exactly correct. A blessing may be coming your way and may be coming right now. But if you're not looking or you don't have a basket, you don't have pockets to hold on to it, to contain the blessing, the blessing could also, God forbid, just pass you by. So in addition to the blessings God gives us, God blesses you. Everything you do, you need to make a container. What type of container? Every person differently. I remember the Rebbe telling the story of the Baal For the Baal the container could have been minimal. He once needed a certain sum of money to help someone. So he went out of his room, went to a window of a house where there was a person who had some money, knocked on the window, and then left. So a student said, what, you knock on the window? Wait till he comes out and tell him what you need. He says, I did the Baal For the Baal that was enough. He couldn't stay in his room altogether because you need to do something. But for most of us, I would suggest we shouldn't go back. We should wait. And very often, I've seen this. I remember one very vivid story. I have two people coming to my class for a number of years. And they, everyone knew that they were made for each other. It was very clear. And they were dating, and they loved each other, and they cared. But they were distracted. He was building a business. She was thinking of moving. And what happened was, at some point, they just grew apart. Not because they weren't meant, because they were busy with other things. So they didn't make the keli, the container, to channel the bracha. The good news is, a few years later, this business didn't work out, something doesn't work out for her. So they, their heads were cleared from the distractions. And what happened? They met each other and they realized we always were meant for each other. They're happily married, they have some children. Perfect example. So the first thing is you have to clear your head and make sure that you're ready. And not just say you're ready. You know, people keep themselves so busy, they have no time for anyone. Obviously, you may date someone, but if you're not paying attention, it's not a priority. You're running to something else. It may be the right person. Hashem is answering your prayers, and you're just not in that place. Now, how do you know if you are in that knot? That's where you need to speak to someone, an objective party. It's not always easy to do, because sometimes we're convinced ourselves we're doing everything right. But you know what? We're all subjective. We all have our blind spots. And not like the guy that told me, I asked him, do you have blind spots? He says, yes, but I know where they are. So I said, then it's not a blind spot. So we all have our blind spots, and we have to have the humility to be able to ask, am I doing everything? As far as prayers go and so on, obviously davening always is a factor, giving zdokah, doing good things, but it's all about opening the channels. I'm not sure if there's any particular bracha. I mean, you should say the capital tilim that corresponds to your age, which is like the Baal to designate. So if you're 20... Say, chapter, say Psalm 21, if you're 30, Psalm 31, 40, Psalm 41, I mean, obviously all the years, 35, Psalm 36. That's always a, a good thing to do. And uh, prayer, there's not necessarily one particular one, what speaks to you. And remember, God listens to, God desires the heart. 
should be heartfelt. And make sure you focus and say, not only am I praying for finding, being in the right place at the right time, but also that I should be open to it. And I shouldn't allow myself to be distracted. And sometimes, God, you may know better than I do what I need. Which brings me to the final point, that sometimes we convince ourselves that we know what type of soulmate is the right one. Now, obviously, I'm not suggesting to marry someone that doesn't check out and doesn't feel, feel right. But sometimes we put too many conditions. And those conditions, in turn, also become obstacles that don't allow the blessing to emerge, the blessing to to arrive and to become present in your life. What are the basics? It's not really the topic, but basically keep it simple. You're looking for a partner you can trust, you can love, that will love you, that trusts you. Someone that no matter what comes comes ahead in your life, you know you can talk with them. Remember, we can't predict the future. We don't know what's coming, but you want someone that whatever comes, is a person, a kind person, a person that I know we can have a conversation maybe has strengths that I don't have. I have strengths that she or he doesn't have. So it's a matter of really keeping that focused. Kindness, generosity. Many other things are maybe important, but not there's the primary foundational elements. But this is not the scope of this discussion, so suffice it at that. And let's now go. I began the topic next last week, completely unrelated. I mean, everything I'm sure is related, but completely unrelated in any direct way started speaking about the issue of non-Jews and souls and purpose and so on. So I want to continue there. As a matter of fact, a bunch of questions also came in now in previous months, the same thing about the Jews, about Jewish people. So it's about really Jews and non-Jews, but obviously in a way that's apitated, apichsidis, and I mentioned that you may be surprised when you start looking into it, it, you will get surprising findings that it go counterintuitive, counterintuitive to what many of us think that we learned in yeshiva or in other places about what is a Jew, what is a non-Jew. So let's begin, continue with the non-Jews. I spoke about yet last week's soul, about, about free will. So here's another question. How do I explain the purpose of life? Actually, no, one second, no, let me correct myself. How do I... Um, yeah. It's a combination of two. I just, uh, how do I talk to my non-Jewish patients about God and the purpose of life? What topics and ideas and chassidus can I share with them? Okay. So this, I will answer after I ask another question that was asked. And let me read, first of all, the full, the full uh, length question here. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you so much for doing this program. I am a BT for over 10 years most of them not in the Chabad community, and I often feel that I have a lot to catch up on in terms of learning Chassidus. It is so helpful to hear Chassidus and words of the Rebbe applied to everyday problems. Often, the Chassidus questions go over my head, but I listen and hope to pick up what I can. I am a medical provider currently working in a clinic, clinic housed in a Catholic-run homeless shelter. I try to lift my patients' spirits as well as help them with their medical problems. My patients are generally not Jewish, but they often will talk with me about God. And I am clearly a religious woman by the way I dress. They often mention Christian ideology, as many of them were raised with that. How do I talk to my patients about God in a way that will give them strength 
and also steer them in an appropriate direction for Bnei Noyach. What topics and ideas in Chassidus can I share with them that will inspire them and give them direction in their lives? And together with that comes the question also how to discuss their purpose in their lives. So I will answer this question combined with another question. And the other question is this. What is the difference between the psyche and soul from a Hasidic perspective? And how are they different by Jews and non-Jews? So this takes me back to the discussion last week, as well as all the episodes that I listed last week, which I'm not going to go over again now, in understanding the role of all human beings on this earth. And it's vital to remember, there's nothing in existence that God didn't put here. Everything is here for a reason. God did not create anything for waste, God forbid. Because why would he? God is calculated and he has a reason for everything. There's nothing here by mistake or arbitrary. So every human being on earth, even other species, mineral, vegetable, animal, but human for sure, created in the divine image, has a purpose. The question is what the purpose is, but it's a divine purpose. In general, the purpose is l'shevis yitzoda, as Adam Arishan was said, to settle this world and turn it into a civilized world. That instead of being a chaotic world, driven by self-interest and driven by wars and conflicts and battles, to make it a peaceful world. Yes, ultimately a messianic world. In the words to, to other Marishan, serve and protect all human beings. And they do this through tzedek and yeshe, to living a just and virtuous life as delineated in the general seven universal Noahide laws. Which, by the way, break down into many more details to the point of even 90 mitzvahs, as the Rameh and others explain. You can look it up in the Cyclopedia Talmudis, in the Erech, Bnei Neyach talks about the Sheva Mitzvah Bnei Neyach and the details and so on. I always often tell people that if every human being, every Jew kept the Sheva Mitzvah Bnei Neyach, we'd have Mashiach here already. It's basically the Ten Commandments without Shabbos and Kibbutz. Talk about Shabbos, the Rebbe has a beautiful Sikha in Chelik Tazvav, Lukut Sikhis, volume 15, the Noyach Sikha, which discusses Akum Sheshavas, a non Jew keeps Shabbos. So the Gemara has very strong terms about it. As the Rebbe's words, his, his, his punishment is It's against his mitzvahs. So the Rebbe asked the question, why? Shabbos, the Chinuch, Sefer HaChinuch says, it's a beautiful day that reminds us about the Creator. Do non-Jews not be, have to be reminded about the Creator? Six days God created, and the seventh day we're reminded that God rested. However you explain the word rested. But he paused, he elevated. So, so why should a non-Jew not be able to keep Shabbos? There's a discussion whether a non-Jew is only Shabbos on Saturday, what happens if he keeps Shabbos on Sunday? Discussed all in that sikha. The Rebbe's answer is both simple and profound. The reason is because the, the, the non-Jew's purpose is Odom Omni of Olet, a person's created to toil, to toil and do what? To transform this world into a godly place. So what does it mean not to work one day? 
That work is part of refining and elevating the world. Say, Bazei, why do Jews keep Shabbos? He said, because a Jew was given an additional mission, in addition to six days of refining and transforming the world, also to bring transcendence into existence, save of Kalam. Now that doesn't mean a non-Jew can't bring save of Kalam, it's just a matter of primary roles, as he explains there. That's why when the Rambam says that, that the business of the world will be only to know God of Elam, of the entire world. The whole world will be filled with divine knowledge. That all nations will join together in one language, serving God each in their own way. The fact that there were nations in the world throughout history that did things that were really criminal, that were Avedazara, Okay, that's not the, that's, they're not the Kavonah. Chesidum is Elam. Reject Avedazar. They reject idolatry. And they embrace the Sheva Mitzvahs. And they have a Chelek Leilam Haba, as we discussed briefly last week, and at length in previous episodes. So they have differences, but they have also commonalities. You know, Leisignev is a law in the Ten Commandments for Jews, but it's also one of the Sheva Mitzvahs. The same thing, Leisitzach, not to murder. And the same thing, many other aspects. So generally, both live in a world of mamala kalam and a sevel kalam. One is to align the world toward God's plan. Another is to bring in a dimension of godliness that's beyond existence. That's in general the difference. But there's many, much overlap. So the point being is, each has a role. So now let's go back to the first question. What should you speak about? There's one God. I would even say, is any way that God is Jewish? Is God male or female? There's one God that created all existence, all human beings. You as a non-Jew were created by God. That's why we don't encourage conversion. Because if being Jewish is so important, let everybody become Jewish. Because you can serve God as you are. So your, your role to, is not to be in any way, I'm not suggesting in a condescending or an apologetic way, talk about God. Talk about that God created you, you have a purpose. Instead of giving into your selfish desires, your purpose is to be a giving person, be generous, charity. Obviously, all the negative, not to do the negatives, be good, be good to, to respect the sanctity of marriage and sexuality, the sanctity of property, sanctity of life, sanctity of other creatures, not to cause pain, the need for law and order and justice. And of course, the, the first embracing a force greater than you are. There's so much that can be said as far as chassidus goes. So in general, the Rebbe says, is talking about how God creates the universe in a perpetual way, that the entire universe is dependent on godliness. All this is for all human beings. The level of understanding based on people. Among Jews, there's also not everybody understands it on the same level. Furthermore, there are secrets from the Rebbe that even even other parts of Tanya. Because everybody has a struggle, like the Rebbe said in, uh, in the Yudayz Thomas, Tov that al-derech nefesh al-lekis nefesh abamis, animal soul and, and uh, divine soul, is also a human being, it says in Kehelis, ruach ha'odam elo lamayla, the spirit of man rises, ruach ha'behemi the spirit of an animal goes downward. We all have the struggle, every human being, between will I be selfish, will I be giving? Will I be kind? Will I be mean? 
Will I be? Uh, will I be? Uh, will I hurt others? Or will I help others? So there's something. There's no limit, really, what you can speak about. When I wrote toward a meaningful life, I intentionally wrote in a way that everybody can read it. It was like an introduction to God, for all people. And then when you finish it, my hope was, I hope you're now inspired. If you're Jewish, to pursue Jewish your Judaism. If you're not Jewish, to pursue your spiritual path through the through your education or through the means that resonate with you. So there's much to speak about. If you need more information, contact me and be happy to talk about when I understand more who you're speaking with and so on. But we are all here to help everybody around us, Jew and non-Jew, to become more refined, more edel, more giving, and preparing them, what is the gu'ula? That human beings will be focused not on themselves, they'll be focused on their purpose. The dasas Hashem doesn't mean everyone will be a theologian. It means everything will be directed Instead of doing things, material things, as an end in itself, it will be directed towards a godly end, a godly purpose. Just as we encourage Jews to use technology, send an email, a kind email, a non-Jew, why shouldn't they use their technolo- the technologies that are available to them? Whether it's emails, whether it's texts, whether it's uh, social media, to spread the word of God, to spread the word of kindness. And you don't have to get into debates of religions and this religion. There's enough to talk about that Av- Avram Hamayin Goyim, Av Hamayin Goyim, Avram, the father of all nations, presented a derech of Lasis Doko Mishpet for all people. And you go back to Noyach, and back to Odom, and that's the universal principles, all ratified and given to us at for all people, like the Rambam says, that everything, even the Shev Mitzvah also because it was given at Sinai. Okay, so good. Now we have covered one more question about this uh, non-Jews, is what is the obligation for non-Jews to have betochen? Betochen, of course, is trust. And, it is, called betochen for, and is it called betochen for non-Jews? As I understand that Rebbe explained, think good and it will be good as relying on and casting our burden upon only Hashem, truly and from the depths of our souls. This is a hard spirit, this is hard spiritual labor. And found so and found so arouses Hashem, as it were, to act toward us accordingly. Okay, this causes to arouse Hashem to act toward us accordingly, midi connected midi, basically. Think good and it will be good as that at that level is more than a feel-good platitude. Do non-Jews have a similar obligation? Of think good and it will be good. How would you explain think good and it will be good trust in God to a non-Jew? Okay, interesting question. So I'll just give a short, brief answer. In general, why not? The same message to every human being. Think good will be good. So no, no one says this is a Jewish message. As a matter of fact, when the Rebbe speaks about betochen, and speaks to non-Jews about it, or about the government, he brings, in God we trust. The Rebbe says, it says in trust. In God we trust. It doesn't say in God we believe. Believe can be a belief, an abstract belief. Trust means that you actively trust. And that's on the currency of American currency for all people. The Rebbe cited it many times. Back in Tov Shinmem, B'Shalach Tov Shinmem is a famous sikha, Bar Shabbos Pasha B'Shalach. And many other times, including in letters. Trust is betachem. So yes, you can use the word. They may not know the word betachen in Hebrew. Well, many Jews don't know that word either. So the idea, yes, that not only we believe, but we trust in God. 
and we put our trust in God and think we'll be good, think good will be good is a natural thing for all human beings. It's not necessarily designated only to a Jew. It's the idea that the way your neurons are fired, that's how they get wired. That think good actually brings good positivity. Positivity, focus on the, on the good, is absolutely something that can be explained to every non-Jew and will help them. And look, we see Bepoil today, you see that this message and, met- and method absolutely is helpful to all peoples. Is there a difference between the Betochen of a Jew and non-Jew? It's another discussion. I haven't seen a difference. Not in the Sikhs I'm familiar with and the Cheves Alavovis where he talks about it. But it's something interesting to look at. Is there a Betochen of Mamala Kalaman, a Betochen of Seva of Kalaman? Perhaps. But also we need to be able to really drill down in it and really see what distinction that would be. But on a practical level, if you're seeing, I mean, I was once in a hospital visiting someone. The neighbor was someone who began to talk. He happened to have heard of me in a video, not Jewish. And he said to me, he heard the, the idea of trust, and he's now in a hospital. So we began a long discussion, the Jewish patient that I went to visit him. And it was a beautiful conversation that became a whole day engaging with everyone. How trust affects you, how it lifts your spirits, how it strengthens you, it empowers you, bringing God into your life. By all means, absolutely. Let's not forget we're looking to transform the entire world. We're looking for a gu'ula that will redeem everybody. A gu'ula is v'ashlema for all human beings. So the messages that from chassidus about positivity, about tachgut v'zayngut, positive thinking, is absolutely universal in that sense. And many, many other messages that are universal. Is there a distinction when you break it down? There are distinctions. But, but many times, you're not, let's not focus even on the distinction. I speak to many types of people from all backgrounds. Many Jews today are completely assimilated. They don't know the difference. And in a sense, the only way to speak to them is the same way you would speak to people from the non-Jew. Because that's where they grew up. That's the same books they read, the same education. Does the neshama have another dimension? That's, that's absolutely. But, that's, but on basic level, you're first getting them, trying to get them into the door. So you speak to a, you give a talk about, let's say, positive psychology positive attitudes, how to deal with pain, how to deal with loss. The general universal principles can be presented to everyone. Now, could there be a breakdown when you break it down differences? Yeah, but that, that, that comes later and not always necessary to emphasize, not in order to be, avoid distinctions, but because simply it's not necessary yet at that point. Someone is in pain, let's deal with that. And this is by no means a contradiction to Atav Chartanu, which we will speak about either in this program or the next, depending on the time that we have. Okay. So, One more question in this family, so I'll really like tie it up. Listen is, here's the question. Is one allowed to listen to non-Jewish explanations of the Torah? I find that they, that they have a very different perspective and they often discuss ideas that I never thought about. It's out of the box, but I'm reluctant to do this regularly or share it because I'm not sure it is permissible, which is, again, non-Jewish explanations in the Ted. Another interesting question. So we have expression, Tera Bagoyim Leitamin, Altamin, Chachma Bagoyim Tamin. That Tera, like non-Jews, we don't accept. Even though it does say in the Gemara that a, 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 a non-Jew that studies Tera 
is like a kain gold that goes into the inner holy hall of holy, similar to what it says in the end of which is the, the letter I referred to in Lakute Sichis, volume 13, page 230. That every person who dedicates his spirit is that includes also non Jews, he becomes like the holy of holies. On the other hand, it says, Akum Shalom Atera, a Nandru that studies Torah, again, like Shabbos. It's the opposite of his Messias, of his existence. So Rashi says, The Abhisheva Mitzvahs did who? Learning Torah in Hesheva Mitzvahs. So what do you see from this? Torah by Goyim al is because you're talking not about the Sheva Mitzvahs. There at Befetish it says, He's obligated to learn. And actually, when he learns it, he's like the Holy of Holies. A Jew, it says, is even greater than the Holy of Holies. So what's the point? That it depends what subject. If a non-Jewish scholar writes a book, let's say, on loving your fellow as another, and even Torah in the areas that relate to him, there could be a wisdom there. Do you need to go there? That's another good discussion. You know, you can find all the commentaries in the Torah and the, the Mepharshah Torah and so on. So in Indian, there are many biblical concepts, Torah concepts, that through the generations, non-Jewish scholars addressed and we can't say that everything is off-limits. It's not off-limits just because somebody that's not Jewish is interpreting it. If the interpretation is hepachatera, then even if a Jew says it, it's not appropriate. So I don't know if it's a per se about non-Jewish explanations. Now, today we live in a world where things are so mixed up, so much of Judaism has impacted the non-Jewish world, including philosophers and thinkers and psychologists, that there are times that, that you could almost see that it's a Jewish concept. So I would not go build a Torah based on every commentator out there, but there are interpretations that I'm sure that have been used. Look, on the other end of things that the Rebbe writes in his famous letter about using Chachmas Yovon, Greek wisdom or science, the Rambam writes clearly that he took some of his astronomical things from the non-Jewish scholars. So there, it's not that they're interpreting Torah. That is how astronomical or medical or other scientific ideas have become incorporated and are used for Hilchus Kiddush HaChedesh or Hilchus Erevin. So you're elevating basically secular wisdom or you can say scientific wisdom. You're elevating it. That's a different angle as opposed to interpreting Torah. That's more or less the way I would explain it. But again, this is not something we need to pursue. And if you have a choice to learn Rashi, commentator on the Torah, and someone that's not a Rashi, obviously it's clear who you should choose. But from time to time, ideas that come, you know, I've read some interesting ideas from scholars that were not Jewish scholars, and they actually, you, teach, they, you, you almost learn to appreciate a part of Torah. I mentioned many times, I don't know, in this program, the book On Two Wings by uh, Michael Novak, a non-Jewish scholar, where he explains how the founding fathers built principles in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, based on what he calls the metaphysics, Torah metaphysics, Torah. And he documents it. There are letters. When you read it, I wouldn't say it's an interpretation of Torah, but you certainly get appreciation. There's certain nuances, there's certain ideas. There's another book called The Hebrew Republic, where he takes the story of Shmuel Hanavi, when the Jews wanted to have a melech, and he rejects he doesn't want to give him a melech. Then the Ebershah says, let them have a king. That speaks about it. So in this book, also a non-Jewish book, but have insights there that are definitely helpful. 
Now, am I telling you to go read it? I'm mentioning it because I happen to have read it. Someone had given it to me because it was based, I gave a talk and someone said, this is an interesting book that will help in the ideas that you conveyed. After 9-11, and especially also now, there's a lot of the ideas that we see in the Constitution, the Rebbe saying, Declaration of Independence, and God we trust, e pluribus unum, other principles that are supportive of Teda, and in some ways sometimes give an insight even. So I think this was a balanced response, meaning I'm not saying you must go there, but to say that there isn't any insights, there are insights, and, um, and that's the general answer to it. Overall, you're learning in yeshiva, you don't need to go to anything but Teda itself to find the interpretations of Teda. We have thousands of years of commentaries and, and uh, interpretations and scholarship. That's the bottom line. And we have much to be proud of. Especially in Yoni Teda. And, but at the same time, I qualified with some of the exceptions or some of the, it's called the, the nuances around this topic. Now, there's a whole bunch of questions that start talking about the other side of things. Let's talk about the Jews now, the Jewish people. The question is, how much time I have? That's the real limit, as always. So let me see here. So let me do a few. Let's start with this. Jews as the chosen people. So this is definitely a topic I've spoken about. So the question is, how are we to understand the idea of Jews as the chosen people? Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I enjoy listening to your classes. I have more of a freeing, I have, I have more of a feeling that I hope you can address. There is something that is hard for me to digest, to digest and make sense of it. The idea that we are the chosen people and that we are the purpose of creation. This is something which seems to be the basis of all of Judaism, or how Chabad sees it at least, I just don't understand how to make that make sense in a world where there are 7.5 billion people in the world and this small tiny nation thinks they are like the superior race. What sign do we have to show the world this? Our bodies are the same. Our mind, it seems like, even are, are, seems like are also... <coughs> excuse me. Our, mind, our bodies are the same. Our mind, it seems, are also like... Even our souls are similar. When, when, when being taught the idea of faith and self-sacrifice, all these things can seemingly be found by Jews and non-Jews alike. On that topic, we seem to ignore that there were lots of Jews who didn't give up their life, and we make it as if all Jews will have self-sacrifice. You might have addressed this in the past. Thank you for your time. Okay, good and provocative question. I'm sure some of you wonder how, are we going to, how am I going to respond to this. Well, this may be a little surprising to you, uh, despite the fact that absolutely and we say they've chosen and chosen. We have the word that's where the root is for the word chosen. At the same time, let me ask you a close Did God not choose every creature on earth to be here? Did that happen by accident? God forbid. So if you use the word chosen, you need to really explain what this means. God chose every non-Jew as well. So you can say they're also chosen. It may be chosen for a different purpose, but they're chosen. Nothing would be here if God did not choose it. So you have to really explain what the word means. 
So we have an expression. When Meshe Rabbeinu is told by Hashem, Lech Reid, go down, from your greatness, because I've not given you greatness for you. I've given you greatness for them. Chosen in the context, the proper context, is not chosen to be elite and special and go around the world and say, hey, you know, we're better than you are. On the contrary, chosen with more responsibility to teach, to inspire, to be more humble, to be a more living example. Avram Avinu chose himself before God chose him. What did he do? He went on a search. And he chose a life. He chose a life. He wasn't going to live a selfish life. When God saw that, and he saw his commitment, and then the commitment to his family, not just himself, that he's also going to bring up his family that way. Ah, now I see I have a partner. So God says, you've come to me, now I will come to you. That's why Matan Teda didn't happen in the beginning of creation. Even though the purpose, but there's no Yisrael and no Teda in the beginning. The first time you hear Teda and Yisrael officially is by Matan Teda. Almost 2,000 years later. 26 generations. Halachically, there was no such thing as a Yisrael. There was no such thing as a Ben Noyachid. Everybody were nations. It was the nations of the world. Because God wanted it to come from an initiative from below. He wanted us to own it. So Avram Avinu began the process. Adam was also, but then he sinned. But Avram begins the process. Yitzchak, Yaakov, seven generations, Talmosheh, the Jews go through a horrible gullus. They pay heavy prices. And now you've refined yourself from the bottom up. Atevachatonu. You made yourself worthy. God showed the Torah to other nations. It wasn't a game. They refused it. They were not ready to accept this obligation. So in other words, they're not ready to be chosen to be the carriers, the bearers of the torch, the carriers of the flame. So when you think of it that way, it's a whole different context. But then again, every non-Jew, every person, including a non-Jew, chooses to dedicate his life to God. So it's a lot more complicated. These chosen and these are not chosen. So I know there's the attitude that the Jews are the perfect ones, everyone is not. The fact is correct. You'll find Jewish people who make bad choices. You find good non-Jews who make very good choices. Not even talking about, I'm not even talking about conversion. We're going to talk more about this in coming weeks, but I just wanted to lay the groundwork. So I think when you put it in this context, it takes on a whole different meaning. And the second most important point is, in Judaism, especially, I'm talking about authentic Judaism, not partisanship, not country club, political Judaism, or political, any religion. This isn't about pulling rank, who's superior. This is not an Olympics or a contest. This is about God. It's about godliness. In a godly world, everything serves its role, and there's no jealousy, and there's no competition. <clears throat> so we take away that element of, you know, I'm better than you are. The whole thing takes on a different shape. God created different people for different roles. Is a koyin superior to a levi and a levi to a Yisrael? Yes, a Kohen can go into the base of Midrash and serves there. A Yisrael cannot go into the temple. The Holy of Holies, only the Kohen Godel. Is he superior? Well, you know what? Mashiach is not a Kohen Godel. Mashiach comes from Shevet Yehudi. Is he Yisrael? In concept, he can't go into the base of Midrash. Not just in concept. Because everyone has their role. So when you take away ego, and you take away insecurity, where you have to fight for your turf, you know exactly what you need to do. 
and you're completely comfortable with it, the whole idea of superiority and inferiority falls apart. There's no such concept. Everything has its role. And nothing, and if someone's not filling their role, even if it's a small role, everyone else is compromised. So when you take that approach, the word chosen has a whole different meaning. It's not chosen. Oh, you know, we're better than you are. We're going to pull rank. Obviously, who's going to accept something like that? And it's not even the language of real Tata. Now, you may never have heard it this way. I hope you did. But this is the approach that makes sense. This is a godly approach to the whole picture. And that still doesn't take away from the uniqueness. There's uniqueness, as I mentioned before. So this is just the beginning. We'll talk more. I'm happy to hear questions. I'm sure I'll get questions on this. And we'll cover, it. We'll cover that as well as we go along. So I began the topic. There's more to talk about. And I'll leave that for next week. Okay. Just checking everything out here. What do we have? I will quickly do a few follow-up because I've been waiting to do it for a while. The follow-up I'm going to do, it goes back a long time, back almost to the beginning of COVID. But I just want to just get it out of the way. I mean, I don't mean to put it in that, I didn't mean it in that dismissive fashion. I meant to say, I want to just cover it once and for all. Every week I feel. So back there was a question that went back all the way to, um, I think it was, I'm not sure what episode it was, something in the early 300s, 314. To our dearest Isage and Mashpia of all virtual worlds, Rabbi Jacobson. Okay. I always read it as it is, because this guy enjoys titling me this way. Fine. I just want to say that I hold you in the utmost respect and reverence. And reverence. You are a fabulous conduit, conduit of the teachings of Chassidus, and our Rebbe, and I certainly mean no disrespect in my titles to you, just a little fun. Remember, there are no ease in Rabbi Jacobson. You just make it look easy. Keep up your amazing work, and may Hashem bench you and yours with only open and revealed blessings. Okay, very kind of you. Thank you so much. May you be blessed in all possible ways. Okay. Um... Episode 307, at the 57-minute mark, you spoke about the fact that everyone has to work hard, and either you can work hard at Torah Mitzvahs, or you can work hard in material matters. Yes, we spoke about um, the hard work. And you can choose actual hard labor, or as learning Torah, different methods of learning Torah. Goes in line perfectly, I'd like to add, with what we just... Oh, it was, okay, we learned this in Pirkei back in the summer. Something we learned in Pirkei Perik 3, Mishnah 5. Rabbi Nechunya ben Akona said, whoever takes upon himself the yoke of the Teda, they remove from him the yoke of government and the yoke of worldly concerns. And whoever breaks off from himself the yoke of the Torah, they place upon him the yoke of government and the yoke of worldly concerns. Okay, thank you for that. And... Um, so I covered some follow-up. I'll do more, hopefully, in the next weeks. I'd like to go now to the Chassidus question and then the essays. The Chassidus question is a double question about Tanya. Since I began teaching Tanya, I'm beginning teaching Tanya this much. I just began teaching Tanya this past Mitzvah Shabbos. I will say now the following. And every, and every week after that, 10.30, as I mentioned earlier. In the context of Tanya... I'd like to ask a question about accountability and the relationship between accountability and perfection. Tanya teaches us that our behavior, thought, speech, and action can be perfect. Yet Chassidus 
also teaches us that we do not have to be perfect. We need to be accountable. Could Rabbi Jacobson please explain what it means to be accountable and the relationship between perfection and accountability? Thank you. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, second question in this uh, vein. Is the, teres, is the Tanya's Benini, a person who always does good and never does bad, a real person or just a theoretical model of the ideal non-Sadiq? Either way, do the Tanya and Hashem, for that matter, command us to make it our life's goal to become this Benini, no matter how hard and unrealistic it seems to us? Thank you so much. Okay, so perfection, no. It says an expression, there's a postage that says, Ein tzadik yechta. There's no tzaddik on this earth that does good and does not have some form of yechta. Literally means sin, but it's taichet from the word chsadim. Because as he says in Tanya, even the greatest tzaddik, because of the limitations of the body in this material world, does, cannot have the full love and awe as in a soul that's unbridled and unfettered by the by the body. So that's number one. Perfection is not what's the goal, as he says in Tanya. It's to be as best as you can be with all the skills and resources and tools you were given. So the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, what is the Bainini? The Bainini is someone that is in our capacity. Why? Because you're not asked to be perfect in the sense that you no longer have temptations and thoughts or things that can drag you to the wrong direction. You have it, but you control yourself from thinking, thinking deliberately and, and speaking and acting on it. That's the key. That's why it's achievable. The tzaddik can only come from above that God can give a neshama of a tzaddik into a person. But then he says also in Benin, what I just said was Pedic Yudal, this says in Pedic Yudbeis, that someone that ever did an Aveda, or ever, that is like, over Aveda, he never did an Aveda, never will do one. Is that possible? So the Rebbe adds and explains, how do you reconcile that with the fact that a person could be, every moment he could be a Benini? The answer is, because the point is, that you can be in a state of mind, and a person that, in that moment, in that Matziv, He's as if he never did and never will do. In other words, you can achieve because it's in our capacity to be that way. So then the question is, what's expected? The expected is, the Torah is not going to diminish and say, just because it's difficult or because not everybody gets there, we're going to say, you know what? Okay, we'll lower the standard. The standard is always going to be the highest realistically. A tzaddik would be like, like a person jumping 50 feet up. That's not possible. But you could have hypothetically control and there could be situations where you're right now such a awakening such a stimulus so inspired that it's as if you never did and never will do an Aveda so that's the expectation as much as best as we can be so we have to be accountable and we work toward this state and we recognize that's the objective that everyone said in the Fabrengen everybody has flaws but don't make a philosophy out of them the philosophy has to be the standard and the ology has to be what is the best possible human being you can be. And then you have to do everything possible in that direction. That's the untashtashur, the possibility. And korav elecha dover me'ed, which is the basis of Tanya, is essentially that, that what? That every person can either do it through moyach shalta through behavioral self-control, 
or because he has Ava Mesuteres, as he says, chapter 18 and on, that he's able to access something that's already there, he just needs to reveal it. And you bring both together, the behavioral of our control, that we have the capacity of, beteva toldosi, naturally, and the fact that we essentially are connected, so we have great potential. Like we spoke at the beginning of this program, you have the Moshe inside of you. So we're never going to say you can't achieve it, you're not going to, you don't have the Moshe, you have the Moshe. Now you have to work as best as possible, like Zusha was crying, not why I'm not like someone else, why are you not like you? And you have much more capacity than you can ever imagine. That's what you want to hear. You don't want someone telling you you really can do it. You want someone saying you could do much more than you think. And then the question is whether you achieve it all the way or partially, but that's a motivator. And more than a motivator, it actually inspires and leads you in that direction. Okay, because of limited time, let me, do, let me move quickly here. So we always conclude now with the sixth annual My Life Citizen Applied Essay and Creative Contest. So we have... Each week we've been doing four, the four tracks. The essay in English, the 15th place, The Power of Imagery, Yehuda Shmutkin, 35, age 35, Shliach Chabad of Hamilton Heights and City College, New York City. New York, New York. Very beautiful essay about imagery. You know, we always want to see how do we get ourselves into a new state of mind. So sometimes it's through imagining and how the mind can imagine things. It talks about plasticity of the mind, and how when we envision things, we actually can change our reality, which is very much Tanya-based of, of mindfulness and the mind uh, helping us move our emotions and moving our being to another place. The 15th place essay, Hebrew, men, dealing with the laziness and the heaviness that the Tanya speaks about in chapter 1. So here he goes into... When people, feel, chapter 1 and chapter 26, when a person feels, um, feels depressed, feels they cannot manage things, and doesn't allow them to fight the fight, because when you feel down, that's what happens. So he talks about how we can use the tools of Tanya to f- counter that. Also a, good, a very good essay. This is by Benayahu ben, ben, ben Yankovich, Jerusalem, Israel. The essay in Hebrew, women, Rechishat, the ability to become assertive from Tanya. Mrs. Rivka Yankovic, Jerusalem, Israel. And here it's about that every battle and every challenge has to be fought with assertion. When you're in doubt, when you are ambiguous or ambivalent or not sure about things, uncertainty, you definitely don't have that ability. So assertiveness is a necessity that we can do it, we must do it, this is the purpose of our lives, and really translates the whole idea of assertiveness from, from Tanya Chassidus into our personal lives. And finally, the creative track, The Anatomy According to Chassidus, sketchbook. So it's a sketch of human anatomy, but placing, like geographically placing all the levels of the spiritual faculties within the human anatomy. By Chaya Youngworth, 18 years old, student, Torah Academy, Johannesburg, South Africa. Very nice as well. So now you can go and find these. At chsidisapply.com you find the English essay and the creative. The Hebrew have a special website, diralo.org, where you can see all these essays and all the previous ones as well. Everyone have a very Marbin Besimch every day with more joy. 
a true inner joy that will be paid us all the gdarim, break through all boundaries and barriers, we should only have revealed joy in our lives till we march into the goal of a simcha selam al total joy, even before Purim, even before Zion Adar. Everyone be well. This has been My Life Chassidus Applied. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Be well. This program is brought to you by My Life Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.